Okay, so we're going to begin our city, Iowa City City Council work session for Tuesday, September the 3rd, 2019. First item is clarification of agenda items. We have a very brief formal meeting agenda, so I don't know if anybody has anything you want to bring up, but if you do, please bring it up now. Or the, yeah, I do have one item. Number 5B. I guess I want to ask Dennis about um, if you can come to the podium, please. You know, online six like capital project improvements, CIP funding, the reason, and it is one. 1.8 million to be transferred. This is already happened, but you know, we are now talking about the increase only, right? From the original amount. Right. Yeah. Right. My question will be, I know this is a capital, uh, this is fund coming from the general fund, but I really don't understand if this originally was uh, from like the general obligation bond and it went to the general and after that transfer, or this is just completely from the general fund? Um, well, if you, I can go back and take a look at it to see exactly what those transfers pertain to. You're talking about the, the capital projects transfers? Yeah, it is 1.8 million has been transferred from the general fund to the capital project fund. Right. I have to take a look and see what that specifically is. I don't know what it is off the top of my head. So I can go back and take a Jeff, look. Do you that. have any idea? Does it have it? No, but we can. You can pull the item off consent on the regular agenda, and Dennis will be prepared to speak about it on the regular meeting. Yeah, I really don't want to talk like not approve it or anything. I just want to ask uh, like a couple of questions because we are using one point eight from general fund for capital improvement fund. Right. Where usually I see all the capital come from the, you know, from the general obligation bond. And I just want to make sure this is, how is the, if you can answer this way, how is the like, general obligation fund when you get the money, do you put it right. to the general fund and after that you transfer it? There, there is, there, it there's about a, a million dollars a year uh, that we transfer out of the general fund to the capital projects funds uh, for a variety of items. Um, we also transfer utility tax funds out of the general fund to the capital projects funds uh, for street projects and undergrounding electrical wiring projects. Um, and that's roughly about three $350,000 a year uh, that comes from that utility tax. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of those general fund items pertain to uh, smaller building funds, uh, park funds, like park improvement funds, that type of thing. Uh, so there is a portion of the general fund money that does go to capital improvements and then uh, we do not bond for those because um, a lot of them are our general purpose projects. I have to look and see specifically what that $1.8 million transfer you're referring to. Sure. Uh, that's part of the budget. And, and there will be a public hearing on that budget amendment tonight. Uh, and Jacqueline's going to detail a little bit of that tonight. Uh, but I can take a look at that to see specifically what what that amendment is for for that transfer. Sure. I just um, I pulled up the budget to give you some examples of what we use general fund dollars for in the capital fund. It looks to me maybe two dozen different projects, as Dennis said, averaging probably around a, a million per year. Um, we have 
library HVAC repairs. Uh, that's where we paid for the we've we've reserved funds for the county access center, senior center, miscellaneous improvements, uh, city hall boiler project. Uh, we did some tree planting, um, some park and you know minor park improvements, police camera replacements. So a whole range of different things that we fund, mostly smaller items. Uh, we fund with general fund dollars in in the, the capital fund itself. So those are general fund transferred to the capital and paid out of the capital You mean fund. the 1.8 right now is transferred for a specific project or just well, for like a, a lot of those else? projects Jeff are talking about are like for annual improvements. So we'll transfer dollars into a, a park improvement fund and that's where they like put those new signs in the parks that are out front of the parks and they replace uh, other small park amenities in their track through a project fund rather than being purchased directly out of the general fund. So, and that allows those funds to accumulate over years. So uh, one of the newer ones says the senior center improvement fund and we'll put dollars in that project fund every year in which they will do minor improvements um, that they're working on now on some of those at the senior center and then if those funds remain on spend tenure, then they're carried over to continue more senior center improvements. And so usually like so they're smaller general purpose improvements um, at, like at Robert A. Lee Parks and City Hall and some of the other facilities. And, and so that's primarily what is being funded out of the general fund uh, from that transfer. So other than utility tax funds, uh, which go to the, the street asphalt overlay program and the city's underground wiring program. But if that fund now is transferred from the general fund for capital improvement, uh, it can be used for something else also, right? That's correct. Because general, it is not fund? like a general obligation fund. Yeah, no, it can be used for fund. another project. Yeah, general fund dollars can, can be used for pretty much any purpose that council would determine that's uh, a legal purpose. Now, the utility uh, transfers, the utility funds. Used for uh, only utilities. Yeah, those would be used for. Yes. Um, but if you were to want to maintain those projects or those improvements at those facilities in the parks, like, then you would have to find some other way to pay for them. And a lot of those are smaller in nature that would be difficult, you know, like those park signs, you might spend $20,000 a year on those. Uh, because they're small in nature, it makes them a little more difficult uh, to bond for versus a larger project. Um, so there, there's mostly smaller items. Now, occasionally there is a larger project funded uh, that way in the general fund, like, um, you know, some dollars were spent to the public works facility, which is a large portion, and some was also used for the uh, for Robert A. Lee, which is a larger project. Yeah, I guess what we like wanted to highlight it because if one billion eight million is not likely, it's a lot of money, and if yeah. we have it from the general fund, I always treat general fund like cash. Yeah. cash money sitting there and for any project improvement could be if this be assigned just to do a project that cost you 1.8 million we should have really do it from the this is done deal i'm not talking about this i'm just talking about in the well, future it, it, the 1.8 million out of the general fund of the capital projects doesn't it's not coming to me right off and so i i'll go back and take a look and see what is being amended there in, Please, the, yeah. in the budget yeah okay let me know that's all I just need to know that this money can be used in anything else too. Yeah, the general fund dollars can be used. Because it's a general fund, it's not like general obligation bond. 
No, it's not. Okay. So I want to support Maz's question because I think for any council member, uh, it's pretty hard to understand how the budget works because mm -hmm. uh, there are all these different funds. There are ways to move the funds around. The funds come from different sources, and uh, and then then we see numbers, <laughs> right. and then maybe something on the ground or maybe something that the staff are doing. You know. Uh, so it's really hard for, uh, I'll speak for myself, not for any other council member, it's hard for me for to me track too. where the stuff's coming from and how it's moving and that kind of thing. I personally was never trained in f this kind of financial analysis. I'm certainly not an expert in it. So I think Maz's question is a good one. We, no. we need a better way of understanding. How well, well and you know, we'd be happy to, to spend more time detailing out the budget. I mean, the, the city's budget is a very complex financial document, and, and a lot of like the different funds represent a different financial sources, and a lot of them have specific restrictions or purposes, which is why they're separated into separate funds, such as the road use taxes that comes from the state are restricted for, for street purposes and right-of-way purposes, and so those are separated out into a separate fund, um, as well as our enterprise funds are separated out to pay for a specific service that has been provided, and we set those fees to provide the, for that specific purpose or that service. Uh, you know, the general fund is the city's general operating fund, and it accumulates a lot of different uh, services, a lot of different things that are being provided to the public, and the the most of that or the bulk of it is is uh, is paid for by property taxes. However, there are other funding sources that do go into the general fund, um, such as service charges and and fines and and so there are other items or revenue items that go in there and and if you drill down to the detail, they all drill down to something specific, you know, as like a check that the city receives or a tax item or so they all drill down to a, a low level of detail. But when you roll it all up into a complex document, it's hard to present it as that level of details that they make up those numbers because there's just a lot of items, you know, that you're talking about in I think the city's budget has about 12,000 line items. So, and all that goes into a whole lower level of detail. So, so it is very complicated, but the things that do go in the general fund, generally speaking, are available to be used for, for any legal purpose that's appropriated by the city council. Now, there's, there are some grants that would show up in the general fund um, that might be specified. I think like we got the law enforcement grant for the data-driven justice, and you know, there's a few others in there that, that are specific. And you, know, you would look at usually those operations that aren't self-funding. So like say the pool system you know, is not self-funding. So, you know, we may spend uh, X dollars on the swimming pools, but they only bring in, say, 30% of their cost. So, you know, all of those revenues and expenses then just roll into that general fund, and that net deficit of, say, the 70% for the pools is then is funded from all the rest of the general fund revenues that are available, which would be, like I said, primary property taxes, could be interest income, it could be, you know, a variety of other things. And so, you know, that, that general fund is kind of a big pool where all that extra stuff goes in there, but most of that stuff is not, does not necessarily pay for itself, and that's why it's within the city's general fund operation. 
So I'd like, I'd like to suggest uh, one thing. It, it could be for, especially since the future council is going to have two new members, it, it might be a good idea to have a dedicated, I don't know, couple council members meeting with, with Dennis for maybe a couple hour briefing about how the f budget works, how it's structured, how it works, rather than just the big document with your always outstanding overview. But that's for the future council to decide. I think, sure. I think it would be helpful, though. Sure. And well, I think a couple years ago when the new council came in, we did do a uh, budget overview for the new council at that time, like an initiation, and, and I thought that went pretty well. Yes. Thank you. Very good. Mm -hmm. Thanks. Any other agenda items? No, thanks. Okay. Why don't we move on to the information packets we had two. The first was August the 22nd. There was essentially nothing, I, I believe, to, that we need to talk about in that packet. If I'm wrong, please yell out. With regard to the August 29th packet, the work session agenda lists them in a certain order. And I asked Jeff to provide that ordering because we've deferred four items for the past two meetings and we need timely decisions on two other topics, so I thought it would be best to clear those out of the way and still we'll have had time to focus our attention on uh, the, uh, completing our discussion about the hourly positions. So uh, that's what I had in mind there. In, uh, with that re uh, in that regard, why don't we turn to IP number four from the August 29th meeting which is the memo from the city of Kirk about the listening post update. So council listening post update. I want to suggest something just to get things going. I looked at, the, thanks to Kelly's help, I looked at the, a li list of where and when we held listening posts in 2016, 2017, 2018, and up to now in 2019. So given the prior locations, I'd suggest that we try to schedule the next listing post for the week of next week, September 9th through 13th, or the following week at Grantwood Elementary, if it's available. And then something else we could uh, do uh, with regard to our fourth listing post during uh, 2019 is to try to schedule a meeting with the Council of Neighborhood Associations. Does this sound reasonable to, to you folks? I think that would be good because we haven't really focused on, on that section of the town before. And uh, just speaking from experience, the um, Partisan Park and Farmer's Market uh, weren't really that conducive to um, listening posts because it was such a large large crowd of people, but it, you couldn't really have roundtable discussion. You just kind of had to mingle with the crowd and you kind of lost something there. So I think Grant would be, that would be an excellent location. We have one at the neighborhood center in Fresno Ridge this year. We did one in 2017. Yeah, 17. Yeah, so, uh, you know, how often about usually those? Sorry. Like, how often we go back to the same people that we did? Uh, well, I don't think we've really gone back to any in the past three and a half or whatever okay. years. So. Uh, but I was looking at a map and, and seeing where the meetings have been held over the past three and a half sure. years and thinking, okay, well, we really should do something and more in the southeastern part of the city next, and then go through it again, you know, in one way or another yes. over the next several years. Sound good. Yeah. Okay, so. Two folks that 
But rolling, I haven't done. What do you want? To any, council to members. People. Any volunteers to participate? Uh, when? Yes, when? We'd have to figure out. I'd have to look at the the schedule for Grant Wood and see. I can when be one of them. Available, so. And then I can reach out to Susan and Mazahir. Mm -hmm. That'd be fine with me. Is that okay with everybody? Mm -hmm. yeah. Unless somebody is really want to go. Bruce, were you tracking that discussion? Uh, no, I was just going to say I'm a, I would be interested in doing it at Grant Wood as well. Okay, then maybe Bruce and Susan, I can give you this time, Bruce, because. Okay, so see if you can schedule a time that can you hear me? works. Yeah, we, yes. we heard you, uh, Bruce. So, yeah, so we're going to include you and Susan, and Kelly's going to see Hello. if we can schedule it. Are you there, Bruce? Can you hear me? No, I don't think you're hearing us. Bruce, can you hear me? Hello? Darn it. Yes. <laughs> through the, the system. I don't know. You might, um, Kelly, you might need to try to reconnect with Bruce. All right. I'm back on now. Oh, okay. So some interruption. Oh, so what we decided is that you and Susan uh, would be the two council people involved. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, but I think Bruce, he just, just did the last one. I thought he never went to anyone else. Oh. Did he? Yeah, he, he did just do one in May well, that's with me. Right. You, you just did one, Bruce. <laughs> sure. Yeah, I can I can be with Susan. Mazahir for a while. So. Okay. Yeah. It's fine. Okay, okay. so disregard what I just said. It'll be Mazahir and Susan. Uh, and the date has to be worked out. Kelly, you'll have to work that out. But it'll be one of the next two weeks, hopefully, at Grant Wood. Okay, good deal. Okay, thanks. Let's move on to IP number five, the KXIC schedule. Uh, we got a list of vacancies for the next several weeks. I would like to volunteer for either the 2nd or the 9th of October. I don't care which. So let me just say the 2nd and maybe. I guess I have a question before you. For sure. I really would like to know, nobody when I came to the council told me anything about what's the goal of going to KXIC. I don't think we ever talked about the goal. Does anybody want to answer that question? I, I mean, I think it's just always been a, a mechanism to get information out to the public, talk about, particularly if it's on a day after we've had a meeting, to kind of talk about what we did at the meeting the night before. If it's the weeks in between the meetings, maybe just to talk about some of the things that the council and staff are working on, policy issues, some of the things we expect to be coming before the council. You mean we have to talk about city issues? Yeah. Yeah, that's the idea. Be a, a, a council person speaking about city-related issues for the public who happens to be listening to KXIC. I really hope that will be the case, and I really don't appreciate anyone go there and talk about something else in there besides city matter. I think Mazahir raises a, a good point uh, as far as what the pur purpose of the interviews are, and I think it uh, basically is the council member to determine the content of the interviews, but appropriate and related. It's called the uh, uh, city government day, so it, it should be related to things that are, are going on in the city as far as what we're looking at and voting on. Okay, so can we focus on Yes. Who, who's going to okay. fill in? 
for particular dates? Well, do you have dates on, you can tell me because could, I don't see them? Yeah. Also, could, could we go date by date sure. to avoid any confusion on who's doing what day, please? Yeah. Yes. Sure. Okay, Thank so you. September 18th. Okay. So does anybody want to do it on September the 18th? Uh, I can do either. Mm -hmm. I can do either September 18th or 25th. Any objection to Bruce doing the 18th? That's fine. No. Okay, you're on for the 18th, Bruce. Right. The 25th? I can be 25th. Okay. And then Jim is October 2nd, so the next date is October 9th. I, I would like that day. And October 16th? I can do the 16th. October 23rd? I'll take that one. And we have October 30th. Rockney? Hopefully Rockney. We could pencil him in. Yeah, I can email him. Okay. Okay, that gets us out another seven weeks, right? <laughs> yes. Who's the 16th? Oh, I'm sorry, who was the 16th? Me. Oh, we, yeah. Okay, I think we can move on to IP number six, which is the pertaining to the, uh, a memo about Housing and Community Development Commission's aid to agencies recommendations. Mayor, I thought I'd have Tracy come up and just kind of summarize where we are with this discussion because there's been a lot of back and forth between council, HCDC, um, so. Okay, hi Tracy. Hi, Tracy Heishu with Neighborhood Development Services. Um, after this last funding round for the aid agencies, council wanted staff and HCDC to review the process. You know, last year we changed, we had some major changes, mostly revolving the legacy agencies and the creation of the merging agency, which we took a 5% set aside for basically new agencies or agencies that hadn't fully established, new or very small. Um, staff went back, reviewed the process, we talked to the agencies involved, and we came up with some recommendation, recommendations for this point forward. Um, those recommendations basically returns the funds to the original purpose. Um, if you remember, the purpose of the aid agencies has been to provide a stable source of operational funding for human service agencies serving low-income people. Um, prior to 2010, two council members and a staff person sat down, reviewed the, the applications, and made a funding recommendation. After 2010, council asked HCDC to review those applications in order to align the funding priorities with city steps. Um, that's our consolidated plan for housing, jobs, and services low to moderate income residents. So based on those two purposes of the funds, um, we made the following recommendation. The city steps plan is reviewed every five years. We have to have a new plan every five years. During that five years, HCDC would sit down and we, they would look over what the priorities are. They'd set a core group of agencies, and that could be 15 to 20 agencies that will apply for that five-year period. At the next five-year period, those agencies will be renewed and reviewed again. We don't anticipate major changes, but one or two agencies might fall off, other agencies might fall on or come, come on board, but that'd be reviewed every five years. During those five years, those core group of agencies would apply each year through the United Way joint funding process. Um, after the fiscal year 21, they would apply for two years. So after the, it's a five-year plan, so the first year they apply independently. Subsequent years, they go on a two-year funding cycle until the new plan is developed. Um, 
HCDC will review and provide the ranking criteria for evaluation, and then staff would provide a recommendation for HCDC. HCDC to consider. After they consider it, that recommendation would come before you to recommend funding. Staff did recommend the discontinuing of the emerging agency set aside, mostly due to other funding opportunities available, such as the climate action grants or the social justice grants. When HCDC reviewed um, the recommendations made in your July 3rd memo, they approved all the recommendations except for that one. Um, they wanted to continue the emergency, emerging agency pool of funds because they believed they were important to provide general operational funds for, for just general operations as opposed to project-based funding, um, mostly to help these organizations establish themselves. Um, there was feedback that we got from the, aid agency, or from the agencies themselves. A lot of the feedback that the agencies had will just incorporate into the HCDC internal review. So that part I don't need comment on, but I do need comment on the applications went live um, last month. They're due September 12th. We were only accepting applications from those who were awarded funding in fiscal year 20. Uh, those applications are due September 12th. Um, we need to know also your guidance if you accept the recommendations and what to do about the emergency or emerging fund aid, um, or set of pool or pool of funds. So if you want to continue that, then we'll make sure that we reserve 5% of that. And that allocation cycle will be with our regular CDBG and home application cycle that you see applicants applying in December and reviewing in January. When you refer to whether we accept the recommendations, are you referring to the recommendations the staff originally made or the recommendations that came from the commission? Well, both. Um, basically, we need your guidance. Staff was recommending discontinuing the emergency funds. Right. HCDC wanted to keep those um, right. due to the, the reasons so, I had so stated you, you earlier. So you need us to decide whether we want to keep yeah. the, 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 yep. that yep. emerging, emerging agency 5%, right? Mm -hmm. Tracy, can yeah. you remind us what with our current funding level, and I know we may be talking about that later as we go through the budget, but with our current funding level for aid to agencies, what that 5% number would be, and then also, based on our last budget, what was the social justice grant dollar amount? Social justice, 75,000? That's what I thought. That went up to 75, and that 5% is going to be considerably um, lower than that, right? right? Well, if it was based on the fiscal year the proposed yes. original funding, the pro there, the would original 19, funding. there would have been 19,000 yeah. available for emerging agencies. 19,000? I, I think 19. I mean, I think I would agree with staff's recommendation in that the emerging uh, agencies have that opportunity through the social justice grant process. Um, and we know that our legacy agencies don't have enough money. And I know we're going to talk as we go through the budget process about looking at that and trying to build in some, you know, an ongoing escalator, so to speak, if we can. But if there's already 75,000 available in that social justice, I mean, that's even a bigger pool than that 5%, and if it's focused on those emerging type agencies, which I would assume most of those are trying to do social justice work, that they already have a much more sizable pool of money than just that 19 or whatever that would be set aside and kept away from the, emerge, uh, the legacy. So I would agree with staff's recommendation. I, I, I thought that this, the um, part of the 5% recommendation had to do with that those funds would be available for operational funding as well as project-based. So yes. if, um, if the social, say the social justice and racial equity grants are project-based, mm -hmm. then that would not be of accessible. You know, I, I have a... I guess I have a concern about an agency that's just 
barely trying to get started and get off the ground. And you, a lot of people try to start things, and they may or may not be successful. They may or may not be good agencies. I mean, the, et cetera, the organization, the skill set. I mean, whatever it might be. I, I don't think that the taxpayer dollar has to be the end-all, be-all for these agencies. I mean, if they're if they really believe in something and are trying to get something started, there's the social justice grants, but there's also private fundraising and things that they can do. And, and I think a lot of people, when they start these, realize they have to find volunteers and or they have to volunteer. I, I'm not tied to the idea that this also has to be um, operational. I just want to ask you, the social justice fund, even though I, I know that's... Uh Stephanie, right? Uh, I really don't know how many organizations last time apply for this, but I know there is many organizations they, re they reject their application because the 75 percent technically is not enough. If we cannot even meet the meet or all the people who are doing social justice organization that do social justice in the community or social, you know, yeah, justice in the community, we cannot meet their need. It's only 75. How come you know that this can, those people can come and apply for the same grant? This is, will be like overcrowded people applying for 75%. And I really support the, the emerging agency operation expensive to be approved and continue because this is, you said 19,000. I don't be, think, you be know. 5% of whatever you allocate that year. Uh, that year, yeah, 5%. Uh, I don't think, we've we done it before and I, don't think this is something can interrupt, interrupt the budget. And uh, we have a lot of good organizations that we want to keep. That's why I hope we can continue funding the emergency, the emerging agency operation expense. So I, I'm inclined to agree with Maz. I think it's really important to provide some funding for emerging entities that come out of new communities in Iowa City or ones that are trying to organize on their own behalf. I think of particular parts of the African-American community, Hispanic or Latinx community, immigrant and refugee groups, especially the, the last category, immigrant and refugee groups. It's really hard trying to figure out how to navigate mm -hmm. this city uh, and, and how to be a a community within the city of a set of communities. I think we need to provide small amounts of money to help them do what they need to do to become more effective members of the larger community and also organized to speak on their own behalfs. You know, I, I would agree. I would agree with the, you know, maintaining the emerging um, opportunities for for new providers, I think when we consider legacy agencies, many of these agencies, they can meet every checkbox um, that's being reviewed, and the newer agencies just don't have that ability to stand side by side up against uh, legacy agencies. So I do feel that it's very important for us to do, uh, to maintain the emerging agencies um, portion of the aid to agency within the budget. Um, the social justice and racial equity grant, um, all services that, 
these are not two equal services. I think um, is is one of the things. You know, funding through um, this process and social justice and racial equity grants, they're not side by side compatible. Um, so, my my suggestion would definitely be to continue the emergent agency five percent. I appreciate the recommendations and, and the comments, but I think as far as the emergent agencies go, we just recently initiated this, and I think we really need to give it a chance and see how it works and uh, give it at least one other funding cycle to see how it goes and, and then revisit it. But I would be in favor of keeping it for now, just to see. I support it as well. I think it's it's a relatively small amount of money. It just feels properly proportioned with respect to the emerging aspects of it. And uh, also, I just want to say thank you to everyone involved with this process. I mean, it's another great example of ACDC and staff and this uh, coalition of agencies coming together with, with these recommendations. Okay, I think we're pretty clear about this. It sounds to me like we're uh, accepting the staff's recommendations with this one change mm -hmm. that pretty much comes from HCDC. Yeah, okay. great. Thanks, Tracy. Thank you. Okay, uh, okay, we can move on to the next item, uh, which is IP number four. This pertains to a memo from Media Production Services. <laughs> sorry, oh, so it, it's about the future of the Telecommunications Commission, but you are on the verge of saying something. Well, I, I did find out the answer to Mazier's question okay. on the transfers, if, if now is an okay time to, yeah, to talk sure. about that. Go ahead. So, so we went back and took a look, and uh, the 1.8 million is actually the, the total budget for general fund transfers. The, the amendment itself is only $150,000. And um, that's actually higher than we usually, usually I mentioned is around 1.3, but there is a, an additional $500,000 that was added to the budget last year for the purchase of land for fire station number five, of roughly $500,000, which is a one-time purchase. And so that's why that's uh, typically higher than it usually is for those general fund transfers, uh, was for that one-time purchase. And and that amendment is being bumped. Part of that is, is about $50,000 for the Oh, the police video camera project, and they actually eliminated a software purchase for roughly that same dollar amount to cover that overage. And then the, the remaining amendment had to do with the Sidall boiler project. Um, that was a two-year project that was moved around a little bit to try and achieve some efficiencies, and so, so some of that project moved up from outer years, and we made some future adjustments to out-of-year projected budgets because of the timing of that, that boiler. And that, so that those two items make up that amendment, but uh, that general fund transfer is, is higher than it typically is uh, because of that fire station land. Sure. sure. And uh, the fire station land could be done also from general obligation bond if we want to. If we wanted to, and, yes. and and that may have been a conversation that was had last last yeah. year as well. But uh, yeah, that certainly could have been bonded for, but instead it was chosen to use reserves uh, rather than bond for it. Okay. No, I just want to know, like there is available money, and we can have many options to do things. Like, sure. And we have, if we want like that money to use it for something else, since it's coming from the general fund, we can so use it for anything. And at the same time, we can we can bond for the fire station. Right, and it's those the other capital items that are being funded about that 
you know, 300,000 from the utility tax probably is, is somewhat inflexible or at least within mm -hmm. certain parameters. That remainder uh, could be allocated it's based on the council's priorities and yes. so how they would prioritize those funds um, versus what they're paying for now versus what they could pay for, that certainly would be up to the council's discretion. Good to know. Thank you so much. Thanks, Dennis, and thanks for checking that out. Okay, as I was saying, let's move to item number, IP number four, uh, which is a memo from Media Production Services Coordinator, I don't remember who that is, my apologies, about the future of the Telecommunications Commission. So, yes ma'am, go ahead, Ashley. for you. Okay, so uh, Ty Coleman prepared a memo explaining uh, what the role of the Telecommunications Commission is currently and what it has been. Um, historically, the Telecommunications Commission was created uh, through the enabling ordinance for our cable TV franchise. Uh, so at this point, the cable franchise expired in August of last year. So we've been operating um, without a, a franchise television provider, uh, Mediacom has moved to a state franchise option, and it's unlikely that they would, would return to the local option. Um, so the communication, or the telecommunications commission reviewed their roles and responsibilities, the level of workload, um, to establish what their purpose might be at this point upon the expiration of the franchise agreement. And so they came up with this recommendation uh, provided by by Ty and the recommendation from the commission is that they either form an advisory board which would evaluate the opportunities for the city to establish broadband service here or to discontinue the commission um, just based on their current roles and responsibilities and the fact that there's not a franchise any longer. So it's up to the council to discuss and provide some guidance as to what they would prefer, and we'll hear any feedback. Okay, well, let's find out what we think. Does anybody want to start off? Well, I think that we looked a few years ago at, and I don't know if it was just municipal broadband or if it was municipal cable, but we kind of had that conversation. And when we looked at it with the information, my recollection that we found is the cities who typically have done this and done this successfully already own their own fiber optic cable around their community because they already have their own energy system. So they're running their own power grid so they already have the fiber. And if you don't already have your own fiber in the ground, this is tens if not over $100 million project to do. And so it was only my memory, I don't know, two, three, four years ago. I know it's, it's been within the last four years, so I'd say two to three years ago that we had this discussion. I mean, if the people on there are interested in doing this, if it's not going to take any staff time, I don't have any problem with it. But given that we just looked at this and those kinds of conclusions that came to the forefront, I'm not interested in forming another commission that's going to take any of staff time. I should. I mean, apparently this discussion happened when I was on the council earlier. And, you know. Well, I know it since you since the last one because I know Rockney was here because Rockney was one that was kind of pushing it, and and I think Kingsley maybe was too. And some of the documents they showed and, and talked about 
one of the things that kind of was overlooked in that discussion, they were referencing these documents, and I remember taking the time to read those documents in full, and it was very clear in those documents that if the city did not already have their own fiber optic, then it was basically cost prohibitive, and the cities typically that had the fiber were ones that were running their own power grid. I think the other other thing that, that has changed since council last took that up is we have another provider in the market now. Uh, so since that time, I'm on has entered the market and they have a three or four year plan to, to blanket the city with fiber and we'll, we'll be offering broadband services to businesses they are already offering uh, to many businesses and residents, but to the entire community in those few years. So a municipal broadband solution would would have that extra private competitor in the market now. I, I'm not sure what I think, but a, a couple of things I am clear about. I don't, this isn't high enough priority for me to say I think the council should take it up this year, nor is it high enough priority for me to say we need staff to focus some time and energy on this topic this year. So, so, uh, So you can see I'm kind of stuck with <laughs> trying to say whatever it is I want to say. So I, I, I'm trying to. Uh, um, so I, I don't know what that means for the recommendation that comes from the Telecommunication Commission. I think what, as it's structured now with the purposes they were given, that they, through no fault of their own, they uh, really don't have much appropriate to do. So I think it's appropriate they should ask us to either disband the, the Telecommunications Commission or somehow enable them uh, or some um, uh, descendant group to study broadband more carefully. So I just need to hear other people talk to help me. Well, figure well they have out. a, you know, the proposal talks about forming this board. Mm -hmm. Uh, which they get into fair, a fair amount of detail in terms of how, how it would be structured, what its duties would be. Uh, so that's, you know, that's the proposal is that, you know, they have a form a, an advisory board which would be in existence for one year. Or they could come and discuss it with city council. I mean, we if we feel we have questions about the proposal, uh, they could come in and discuss it with us. I'm kind of inclined to do that, uh, um, just to have a face-to-face -face conversation with them. I remember um, as recently as last year, there's a community group, I think their name was the Community Internet Project, that was interested in setting up a mesh network using um, school district resources and school district facilities. Um, I, can't, I haven't heard anything from them recent, but has that come up in any discussions regarding the Telecommunications Commission? Not that I know of. I don't think so. I don't know. I haven't seen it. I would be inclined to definitely have the Telecommunications uh, Commission to have a um, to discuss the proposal. I agree with John Thomas on like really we're having like advisory when they come and 
do things like face-to-face. -face. So, okay, we could do that. So let's imagine that we do invite the Telecommunication Commission to actually meet with us, which we intended to do, sure. I don't know, two years ago or something like that. Uh, I'm happy to do that. What do we imagine would come out of a conversation with them that goes beyond what's in the recommendations that we've already received from them? Well, I'm just thinking it would help inform our decision about whether to support the idea of this um, board forming the, you know, giving the go-ahead to the board. Beyond just looking at the written proposal in this. Okay, so I'm, I guess part of what I'm wondering is who would do the work? In other words, would there be an advisory board that itself would do the research? No, you're, you're like, I mean, the, the advisory board would likely be able to, to guide the process. They could certainly do some public outreach, some surveying, um, but you're going to need to bring in an outside consultant at, at a pretty considerable cost to do a feasibility study. It, it's, it, this is no small undertaking. Yeah, that's, that's um, certainly what I This is to. a significant undertaking, and, and your decision will have a big, will send a, a big message to the community, and that's okay if you want to do that, but if you're, if you're really serious about this, you're going to have to put a lot of time and resources behind it, even if it's just a feasibility study. And I, and I don't even, I would be surprised if you could get that done in a year. Again, you could, you could do some community surveying and kind of gauge people's satisfaction with existing services, but if you're not serious about following through, you, um, I, I think long and hard about creating a committee that would oversee such a process. Kind of along with that, Jeff, they, in their um, proposal, they list their board, board member duties include but are not limited to, and, and, and it's a pretty extensive list, and, and, and it says gather uh, and present information about existing municipal broadband um, deployments, uh, work with city officials, assess broadband access throughout the community, provide a recommendation to city council. Uh, that's a lot of tasks. Uh, those kinds of things are things I, I would think that if we had a consultant would, would be doing those kinds of things, but for a commissioner board to do that, that that's a lot of work, but they say that's what their duties would be. So the current commission consists of what, four people? I'm trying to remember. Somebody resigned. Yeah, I think we have a vacancy now. At least one, if not two. When I look at what we have on our strategic plan, and Jim, you talked about this not being a high enough priority. Um, it, I just, I don't see how this begins to rise to the level that it is worth spending the time and money because there's no way we're going to do this without staff time. And as Jeff said, you know, probably a consultant and money. And, and I mean, this was pretty strong information that we had from a couple of years ago that there is no way that a city does this if they don't already own fiber without spending well over $100 million. And as Jeff said, we now have a second player in the community with IMON coming in. I don't, I'm not sure what message it sends to them. I would hope it wouldn't slow down their work. Um, but to me, the last thing you'd want to do is slow down their work and then we don't do anything. Uh, given you know, the additional challenges we're going to have financially over the next few years as we 
you know, finished dealing with the changes in the property tax that happened in 2013 and the things that we're adding and adding to our budget that are recurring costs that are going to go up, yeah. I don't, I can't imagine even considering spending over $100 million uh, to put in a municipal broadband when we've already got two companies in town um, that I think are going to help serve the community. Yeah, good points. I, I can't either, Susan, and that's part of what I was struggling to say about priorities. That This doesn't rank highly in my list of priorities, and that's connected to the strategic plan that we went through a considerable effort to develop, uh, you know, four years ago and two years ago. and So that's what we said our priorities are, and I don't see the words tel telecommunication or broadband anywhere in that strategic plan. We could meet with the... My, I'm sorry, Bruce, go ahead. My biggest um, request for the meeting uh, with the Tele Telecommunications Commission was to just have a conversation with them. If we're, if we're considering disbanding, you know, the, that commission, as well as not doing the proposal, my thought would be we would at least bring them to the table, have the conversation, and then make a decision from there. That That's my thought. But I, I do hear the concerns of, of, of both Susan and, and the mayor. Um, and some of those I do share, but I think it was more so just from the request to discuss their proposal, um, just giving them the floor and opportunity to do that. Yeah, that seems, well, that, I think that Sensible. seems reason. You know, they are disbanding. It's kind of a last uh, gesture. And, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying I'm an advocate for it or not. I just uh, felt both for my own um, edification and I think others on the council as well as the community having this conversation might be useful. Okay, would, I be, would it be fair of me to say that the sense of the council is that we're pretty skeptical about the reasonableness or feasibility of doing a major investment into broadband, but we want to meet with the Telecommunications Commission, have a conversation with them, hear what they have to say, maybe that will influence our views and all that, uh, but mainly as, a mat, as an act of respect to the commissioners that we should do that. So if, I mean, tell me if I'm wrong, but that's what, what I think I've been hearing. So if, if we could do that at our next meeting, that'd be great. If we can't, the meeting after that. Does that sound reasonable yeah. to everybody? Yeah, yeah. Does, Is yeah. that okay with you, Bruce? Yeah. Okay, I think we're pretty clear about that. All right. Moving on to IP number five, which is a letter from, oh, it's actually, yeah, that's, I don't know, on our list here, it's number five. A letter from the Iowa City Climate Action Advisory Board recommending creation of a Climate Action Commission and a few other actions. So who wants to start that discussion? I guess since we are declaring that now we have declaration of the climate crisis in our community, I guess it will be really appropriate to do this commission so they can focus on everything that we want to achieve to meet the climate action plan. 
I agree. I just had one comment as far as their uh, recommendations for uh, who would be on this commission or representatives. I, I didn't see anyone on there that uh, represents uh, healthcare professionals, and I would like to see somebody uh, with healthcare background on there. So I think that's important. On that point, I think it would be, at some point, be important for us to determine how many commissioners we think should be on this commission yes. and what the what kind of diversity we want to see on it. Mm -hmm. And we went through a pretty intense process when we were creating the Climate Action uh, Steering Committee. Uh, that seemed to me uh, that was a pretty good decision we came up with back then. 13 members, and, and, and I think five of them were at-large members, and the other eight were from various organizations or groups of interest. Uh, but we'd have to be clear about that about the composition. Sure, right. Yes, I agree. So I, I think that the climate action um, commission is a is probably ne uh, necessary. The one missing piece that I think is there for me right now is we're waiting for staff to bring back the hundred days of how we're going to move forward with the climate action, uh, um, the, the well, the climate crisis, and so. In order for us to determine who are the, you know, the the greatest players um, to get us moving forward, I almost feel like we need to wait for that to finalize some aspects of, you know, who makes up this commission. Um, but I think it's a great idea. I think it's um, necessary uh, for us to have a have a committee a commission to move us forward. But I, I also believe that we need to wait for that 100-day, um, you know, to find out what our next, how we're gonna, how we're gonna achieve it. I see your point, Bruce, but I personally don't agree. I think it would be uh, really good for us to receive the report from the staff and to create the commission pretty much on the same evening. I think that would send a pretty strong signal. Uh, about what we have in mind. I don't know what the rest of you think, though. Yeah, I don't think we need to wait for the plan. I think I think we need broad representation from the community. I don't know if the ones they've put down here are necessarily the exact right one, so to speak. Mm -hmm. But if we're going to do this, I think you need broad representation. I think we can f figure that out regardless of what the plan looks like. Yes. I agree, especially like if I talk about immigrants. Mm -hmm. You know, nobody's really understand this topic like fully so they sure. can act and help the rest of the community. But if we have somebody who represent from them uh, so they can go and educate the community about it, it will be great because this is not something on their priority. As immigrants, they have a lot of obstacles they need to navigate through. Mm. I think that's a great point, and you know, as I've been trying to learn more about Sudan, mm -hmm. I, I, I think I see that there are significant climate change. There has been a significant change in the climate in Sudan, and it's having major effects within the country. And they, they and, don't. And there's put a those connection. Yeah. yeah, and they don't put those like in the so they can see the picture. They need somebody to come and see. Yeah, do you see now that like all the flood in Sudan never happened before? This is due to this too, and you know, like people will understand after that. Oh, that's because of this, and you know, I guess they need to be educated. That's all I can say. 
about you know the, the resolution and I think most climate emergency or crisis resolutions have an equity emphasis in them so having having that embedded in the commission mm -hmm. makeup I think in some fashion would be would be appropriate yeah and I think the uh, Climate Action Advisory Board people, uh, when they made the recommendation to us, were very aware of a need to have community engagement and outreach that would have differing ways of connecting with differing parts of our community. So that, you know, I, I think has to be a key part of what the, 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 the proposed commission should do. I noticed that the, um, the, the Climate Action Advisory Board also recommends that we hire one staff person to assist the new commission and perform community outreach and engagement efforts. And I know there's been some discussion about that. Uh, Jeff, tell me if I'm wrong, but I think you're planning to include a staff member who, in our future budget, for us to consider approving. We're kind of working through that with the accelerated report um, that you've requested, the 100-day report. Um, we have not filled the assistant facilities manager position that you approved with the last budget. That's a general funded position that was uh, really meant to be an energy manager for the uh, for the city, focused on our city facilities. But um, those funds are, are flexible, and just in hearing the community conversation around this, I, I think that probably better suited for a position like they're calling for, if that's where our emphasis is going to be. We're trying to figure out organizationally where that position fits. Uh, so not quite ready to do that, but I, I don't necessarily think that we're going to have to wait until the next budget cycle. I imagine with the 100-day report, we'll have a, an outline of, of uh, how we might be able to accelerate the hiring of that individual and give you a better descriptor of what he or she may be doing for the city. Bruce, were you trying to say something? I was not, but um, I will. I think a part of my um, request for, you know, trying to figure out from the staff uh, 100-day report, you know, who would be the best representative on this commission? Um, but I think Maz and some of the others have just indicated, um, you know, different types of individuals that would be beneficial to be um, at least somewhere a part of that, the commission. Um, my concern at this point isn't really, um, you know, making sure that we wait until after the report comes. I think it really is, you know, just making sure that representative body is reflective of something that can move us forward and have that equity piece also present on the commission. Yeah, very good. So, uh, council members, do you think it would be good to ask the staff to put together a, a short memo recommending a possible structure, size, purpose, uh, what else, for a commission? Taking into account what we've been, uh, what uh, the, the advisory board has recommended. Yeah, you know, there's a, a whole series of recommendations in them in this um, letter from the advisory board that could be used as a starting point for that staff the staff work. I think we'd we'd probably just jump in and, and provide a draft resolution if you want to reserve some work session time uh, when that's ready. That way it's in the, the right format uh, between the resolution that created the ad hoc uh, committee 
and what the uh, uh, the um, Climate Action Committee has recommended here. We, we really have enough to provide some early recommendations and we can get that on, if not your next work session agenda, the, the following one. Okay, good deal. Uh, anybody else want to say anything else about the, this particular topic? No. Okay, great. Let's move on to item six, which is the, the, the one concerning converting some hourly positions to permanent positions. Find my notes. Uh, uh, Jeff, do you want to get us started by giving us a brief overview of the, um, I don't know, the, the memo you, the new memo you provided? Yeah, for it's, it's really, I don't think anything you need to focus on tonight. I just wanted to clarify um, some information on the city's historical use of hourly employees, um, because there was a uh, there was a comment that we've drastically increased the number of hourly employees over the last 10 years, and as you can see, we've really stayed very consistent. That number does grow some years and come back down other years, but it's it's been very consistent throughout my tenure here and and even before. And then the other uh, information, I, I think. Um, uh, may just inform you about the bigger picture of how we use hourly staff. So we looked at the tenure of staff, how long are hourly employees generally with us, and the average number of hours that those individuals typically week or typically work in, in a week. Uh, so I think it shows you that, uh, again, our numbers have remained relatively constant in terms of the number of hourly employees, and also shows the vast majority of hourly workers have very short tenures with us and work less than 10 hours per week. Again, I don't think that needs a whole lot of focus tonight. That was more just to clarify um, conversation from the last meeting. Um, where we left it, uh, we have uh, nine positions that, that we have presented you along with some estimated maximum costs for converting those hourly positions to permanent. Uh, and that memo has been reprinted in here as along with uh, Ashley Monroe and Karen Jennings' memo with the detailed analysis. Um, again, my recommendation was that you leave all these positions hourly, uh, but understanding that you may want to uh, convert, I've given you some thoughts on the, on the positions that I think would add the most value to the city and to the community if they were uh, converted to uh, permanent status and would encourage you, if you decide to move forward, to think about how you might phase some of that in, whether that's prioritizing uh, positions from this list um, or waiting until there's vacancies in those positions to move forward, which we have um, at least a couple of those now where we, we have vacancies. And then finally, I'd like to remind you that two of the nine positions have never been filled. They were authorized under this latest budget with funding becoming available July 1st. And knowing that this uh, discussion was pending, we never filled those. And I certainly would not recommend that they be shifted to permanent status. I would, I would, I would simply encourage the council to, to drop those two positions and we just won't hire them as hourly or permanent. Which position do you mean? That was the human resources office assistant and GIS technician. So again, those are brand new positions that have never been filled. Those were hourly positions approved in this budget. 
So that would take the list from nine to seven, um, if you were to concur with that. But so people who work in, oh, you said we It's never been have, filled. Okay, never been filled. And we wouldn't fill it unless you told us we could. Then the 39 employee that been identified for this uh, nine position, is it not including those two positions? Um, or you mean you uh, you just assume there is people going to work? We would assume that there would be one. How in many there. people did you assume will be there? Uh, those are just one position, one person, one person per position. That means it'd be one GIS technician and one HR office assistant. You mean the the number will be like thirty-seven employee instead of thirty-nine? Yeah, but that that number fluctuates. Um, like every year, twenty hours a week per but, employee. Yeah, so that'd just so be a. Right, those are half-time hourly, so 20 hours per week. Yes. But that, that 39 number, again, that's going to fluctuate because I can use the REC customer service as the best example because it has the most. There's times where we might have 25 of those employees, and there's times where that may be down to 20, or there are times maybe 30 because everybody's schedule and availability is different. So those and numbers that's we, why? Why we are, because of the schedule of the people who Correct. apply for the job? Yeah, certain times people may be on to, may be able to take more hours or may may be able to work more days, and other times their schedule may be restricted to because of personal matters or student classes or whatever the case may be. So we have to hire additional hourly folks. But to I cover really those remember hours. when I went and asked about those at the rec center, the answer that correct me, Julia, if I'm not wrong, the answer was during summertime. We don't have more people working there. We have less people working at the front desk. And uh, another thing, because there is no student in town, but usually you hire more people during when on the fall. So I would say that on the rec customer service, it's the same number of hours that need to be covered, yes. whether it's summer, winter, fall. Uh -huh. The number of people we have fall, um, filling those hours varies greatly. Um, because sometimes you have someone that wants to work 20 hours a week and we can accommodate that type of schedule. Sometimes we have people that have been doing that and then something else changes in their life and they say, I only want to, I can only work Friday night and Saturday afternoons. And we say, great, we need those shifts covered and, and they work four hours a week or something. So that's, it really varies. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Because if at the customer service, the hour is the same, like, it doesn't matter by season, fall, winter, the hour is the same. The people are getting, sometimes we have more people, and I don't know, I guess Pauline was there on the talk when we talked to one of the employees there who really want more hours because she's not a student, but she will get the most hour during summertime. She's a single mom, she gets most hour during summertime, but when the student come, her hour will be less because there is more people working at the front desk. That's what I'm really talking about. If we can make the people, why should we hire all those people and go through training and process and pay all this money? If we make those people permanent part-time and just cover the front, especially like the front desk of the rec center, that's something gonna be there forever. Why we make that hourly position? There is many people in this city will love to work at the front desk, and there is not like a lot of skill for that job since students are covering it. So we, in the same time, we make them permanent and done with that position for the city. That's what I'm really talking about. Now, you know, those kind of business decisions should not be hourly position. 
Well, as you know, I don't agree with that approach to it. I think I think when it's interesting, and I'm glad to have the accurate information that you know over the last ten years we really haven't changed uh, the number of hourly employees. You know, but we also have not you know really increased our number of full time permanent very much. Um, We've we did about a 30 plus position decrease or more after Tom Marcus was hired. We were over overstaffed in certain areas and and really kind of pulled things back. And we now have gotten to the point with the continued growth of the city and the services that we need to apply that, that we need to, to uh, give to our community members that we we don't have the full time permanent staff that we need to provide those services. And I think the city managers made it pretty clear in his memos and, and certainly in conversations <coughs> I've had with him that areas that he's really concerned about um, as this community grows and doing the things we need to do is, is in the police department, more officers there, um, our planning department, um, you know, things aren't getting done. And part of that is new staff and they're getting used to the city. And in, in saying this, I am not all being critical of our staff. I don't mean it that way at all. But you've only got so many bodies, and they're learning, and they'll get better. But still, they're short-staffed. Engineering as well, in terms of all the projects that we have going on in this community, trying to turn around those projects in terms of reviews, et cetera. And we've all either seen personally or heard in terms of parks and recreation. And so it, it seems to me that the city's done a good job in not increasing our utilization of part-time people, and I don't see anything wrong with that balance. I think most large organizations utilize both part-time and full-time. It gives flexibility with the scheduling. But I get really concerned with spending potentially over $800,000, which will be a, a recurring expense that will go up every year, that's really going to impact our ability to add to those permanent full-time staff positions that will have a much greater impact on the service to our community. These positions aren't. They're already being filled. They're not going to provide any additional service, so to speak. And as I said last time, there still is the possibility that some of the people in these current positions are no longer going to have a job. As some of these descriptions are rewritten and potentially upgraded, we have people who you know, want those part-time jobs. We, we have people, and, and they aren't in here, and it was interesting when, when I had the conversation um, with union members, just, you know, like at the library, they, you know, they have snowbirds. They're great. You know, they love to be here in the spring, summer, and fall and do their hours and shelving, but they head south in the winter, and, and they're not in here, and maybe that's part of the reason they're not in here. Well, that could be the same with some of these others as well, that, that people want and need that flexibility, and I think locking people in to all these is, is not necessarily, but to me, again, it comes back to the finances of this, and it comes back to then the lack of ability to hire permanent staff. You know, I think in our last meeting or the meeting before, Jim, you sat here and mentioned, you know, your hope that staff would get to... Um, rewriting some of the some of the zoning code and certain issues and I it, I'm forgetting right now the specific thing I think it had dent to density I think it was the the buy right to Duplexes be more and yeah exactly you know that stuff takes time I mean I would see that as you know important as we try to address affordable housing and more flexibility in the density we 
we did the form-based code and we agreed that that was going to be done for the South District. Well, six months later, whatever, we come back and we're like, no, we want to do the North District at the same time or at least a modified version of that. That takes more time. That takes more money. When we look at our strategic plan and the things we're trying to do and the resources that need to go into it, this does not address our strategic plan. And so I, I just don't think... I don't think that that's the best way to be spending the city's money. What do the rest of you think? Well, I, I think that uh, one thing that, that really is clear with this and that raises, uh, raises a major issue is our need to take a serious look uh, at our payroll budget uh, and, and plan for increased staffing needs in all of our departments. Somehow we need to do that and we need to find the funding for that, uh, especially with the essential positions. Susan mentioned some of these, um, the fire, the police, the streets, uh, et cetera, uh, planning department, uh, along with, as we've been talking earlier, our uh, need of understanding of our potential transit needs with the transit study coming up. We're going to need positions with that, I'm, I'm anticipating and hoping. And also recent discussion of possible establishment of the climate action coordinator position. That's going to take, that's going to take money. So I think, but as I recommended before, I think uh, in conjunction with AFSME, uh, we could take a look at some of the positions to be changed and, and uh, without avoiding the loss of jobs. I, I just would hope that we would be able to figure it out without losing any jobs. What do you mean by not uh, losing any jobs? Well, like, like yeah. the, you know, like the in particular the recreation positions they're talking about. Uh, there are currently 25 people in in those jobs, and if you're converting them to full time and only then need 12, what are you going to do with the other 12? Perhaps is there some way that AFSCME can offer them positions somewhere else in the city, so if they don't lose the job yeah. within the city. What, you know, what can we do? But Pauline, what would we do for them? The, I'm, yeah, I'm I agree about with that. you, but but I think that 25 position, if you ask, it will be more during summertime where students holding this. We can just not offer this job and give those people more hours. You know, there is many ways to do this. I'm, I'm sure those people are the people who, that we have to hire them every year. As soon as we give that birth, we make like three, not the older 25 work there all the time. Some of them, they come during summertime. Right. And you know, we can just don't advertise the job during summertime for the people to come and take. But there is people being working there for a long time. That's who we're really talking about. But the 25, I don't think the 25 was working there for over years. So, so Pauline, if, 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 if go back to the, to, to the topic at hand, it's basically nine positions. And nine positions. And said, don't, well, we're not, we didn't right. really even plan to fill uh, two of them, so we're talking right. about seven, seven positions. And, it is and a certain number of part, uh, hourly employees that are currently occupying those positions. And mm -hmm. So what are, you, what are you recommending we do with regard to those nine or seven positions? Again, I go back to saying work work again with ASME uh, if, if it's a budget issue and set the priorities on, on which of those that we could do now and phase it in, look at phasing in the others. If you have if any have question to, to ask me, they are here. Mm -hmm. Because they in their letter, they really recommend those out of 100, how many, 150-something position, you come up with this now, it was nine and become seven position. Those people don't, this is the only position that you need to be full time, uh, permanent, I mean. So, I always say full time, uh, I don't know why. Uh, Bruce, John, uh, yeah. what, what are your views? I, um, you know, it reminds me of Dennis's comment on, you know, budgets are complex systems. It's, and we're sort of taking that, we're not dealing with the complexity now, we're just dealing with 
one relatively small piece, a significant but still small piece. You know, I think as has been mentioned, we have issues. One of the strong messages I'm hearing from everyone is the stress that staff is feeling in certain departments. That clearly needs to be addressed. Uh, we, as a council, have a number of initiatives which will be affecting the budget in the coming year, such as the climate action. Uh, I'm sure there, there may be other positions that may be required to you know, pursue our initiatives that we have in place. You know, I support, you know, and I do thank the, the union and the staff for kind of winnowing, winnowing this down to um, kind of a manageable number of positions that would be affected. Uh, but as in so many things, my, my feeling is, is that um, I, I would like, at least at this time, view it as a phasing in rather than something where we're moving uh, forward with all of all seven of the positions. Um, I, you know, I'd just like to, to have it be looked at when we're, we're looking at the budget more in its entirety uh, with the idea of incrementally working toward as we did with the minimum wage, you know, the idea that we, f we phase in what our overall goal is um, rather than accomplish, you know, our goal in one fell swoop. Um, so that, that's sort of where I'm at is, is I, I, I support the idea. I think a number of these positions do seem to be cobbled together. Um, but I would, I would like to implement it over a phased period of time. Bruce, I'll turn to you in just a second, but uh, I guess I want to express a view here. I, 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 what you said, John, uh, is pretty much where I am. I think it is, it would be um, reasonable to convert two or three of these positions now or in the very short term, uh, but reserve judgment about the others until we get to the budget as a whole, because like you said, it's a big complex thing and we have important priorities and as Susan said so clearly I think it's really crucial to be able to add additional well hire additional staff for new positions that will help our departments do the work that we've called upon them to do uh, and that has in which the demands have grown substantially over the past several years but the departments have not grown so uh, we it's been very clear that our staff has been under great pressure, as I think both of you have said, <clears throat> under great stress trying to accomplish what we've charged them with doing. And they've done a great job trying to accomplish those objectives. But I'd rather hire staff to do that than convert uh, a substantial number of positions to from hourly to permanent. But I am willing to uh, go along with something like two or three positions, and I would personally prefer to delegate that responsibility for deciding what positions they are to our city manager, who knows the inner workings of our government a lot better than we do. My Ru question, yeah. well, I just, if I can piggyback on that just real quickly. In regard to what John said, and, and this is something I didn't say, and I totally agree with what you said, John, that, that we should be looking at this when we're looking at the entire budget. So I would suggest even rather than deciding on two or three now, 
I would encourage that we defer the whole thing to when we're looking at the whole budget and still have Jeff come back with his priorities and then we figure out depending on how he prioritizes those positions, how many of those we feel that we can fit into the budget given the other priorities that we have for the budget. So Bruce, uh, we've had a lot of conversation here. What, what are your views? No, I'm getting a little static, so if, I, if it's too hard for you all to hear me, let me know. Um, my, this is very complex, as everyone has stated, but it is important that we look at the entire operation um, because we're looking at something in isolation. My biggest question is for these permanent, for these hourly positions, if there wasn't a financial, you know, need or anything like that for other departments to increase um, staffing, what would what will we do with these hourly positions if they're not given the other? pieces and that's what I'm trying to look at. So if we're talking about maybe down the future we would want the to convert these hourlies over to permanent positions, then that's kind of what I'm looking at. Like you know, not looking at all the other things and just what would these positions what would they what would they really benefit for the city? Um, so I do believe that um, when we're talking about increasing the minimum wage, we're already doing that, which is great. We also have, um, for these hourly positions, if they are converted to permanent, what would their job duties be is going to be changing. And so there is a place um, for hourly positions in the city operations, and that's when you look at the global operations of the city. Of the city. Is there a place for hourly operations? And absolutely yes. So. It is a little complex to look at this in isolation and not look at the global. Um, and so Susan just suggested, you know, we look at the, the you know, the, the budget and uh, as a whole. I agree, except I also know that we've talked about bringing this, you know, between ASME and the city staff to come back in August to tell us, you know, how where will we do those conversions. And so... On one level, they've done that, but it's, you know, that global picture is all complex. Um, I am more inclined to, you know, look at the, you know, the seven positions now and make decisions upon them than to really delay it again um, because we have employees out there waiting for us to give an answer um, on, you know, what's going to happen within the department. So I, I'm not inclined to really delay you know, discussion on what we're going to do, um, but make a decision on these seven um, at this time. And the other thing about doing employee pay, I think yes, if we're in incremental, you know, for the um, for the minimum wage, we you know every year we're doing you know increasing it. But I don't believe that we would do. I don't believe that it's the right thing to do if we believe that the, that there are hourly positions that should be permanent. I think we should do it and not wait. Now, we can do that at the beginning of the year, uh, January 1 or something like that, but I don't believe that we wait a significant amount of time to make those conversions. Okay, if I'm hearing everybody correctly, you all tell me if I'm not, there is no support, well, not uh, insufficient support for converting all, basically seven, of the hourly positions to permanent. 
Likewise, there's insufficient support for converting none of them right now. Am I right? Is that, is that what I've been hearing? Right. No, I, I really don't know. I, I still don't want to talk about this. And I don't know. Like I, I, like, I don't understand the position for Pauline right now. Rockne is not here. Uh, his position was clear. And you know, it, it is real. I, I really, I don't know what's going on here now. I don't know exactly where we're heading. Like but from the conversation now, like uh, Boleyn, she talked about it. It gave me feeling like she wanted, and she wanted to support what asked me say. After that, she talked about something else. Make me like feel, oh, maybe she's not supporting it. But can you guys be clear and say, yes, we want to do this now, or we don't want to do it now, or we want to do some of this now? So I can't really understand where we are. Well, I tried to summarize that, but maybe, Pauline, you, if you understand the way I summarize things, maybe you should be as clear as you can about do all seven now, do none of them, uh, uh, no, put I, it all I, off okay. to the budget. Apparently or, it wasn't, or, I wasn't clear on that. As far as uh, budget-wise, it doesn't seem like uh, there is financial support to convert all seven at this time. So uh, my point was that in conjunction with ASME, not to throw it on them all the time, but they were very helpful with the initial conversation about this to convert some of the ones that seem to raise to the priority level that, that we could do, that we could convert at this time without, um, I think what I confused you about was when I started talking about loss of jobs, because yes. I don't want people to lose their jobs, because I think John mentioned, and we'd heard about that before, that these positions might have to their job description will change. So that might put some of them out of the position, out of the job field, and we don't want that. So that was my point on that. So I think if we can look at the ones uh, that could be more easily converted now, uh, but I do still think my point was that we do need to look at at our our payroll issues and and see where the need yeah, is. Yeah, let us talk about payroll issues. Uh, even if we done this now or like make the decision now or make the decision before, as to the mem just wait, mem said, wait until the budget time. Is this gonna start immediately or is this gonna start like on next budget gap? Someone. Uh, I'm sorry. sorry. Can you repeat that, please? Yeah. Okay. I said, uh, you know, if if we if we said this is if we agree today to change, if we agree today to change the seven position, and Susan Mim said also we can just agree to do some, and later on maybe during the budget time you come with more uh, like information about which one and we can talk about it. Either way, are it going to start immediately or next year budget? That's a decision you'd need to make as a council. That means, because you're talking about we, if we don't have money right now, think about the, the 1.8 million that they just transferred from the, like, you know, lot of 500 for the, for the fire station. That will be there next year sitting for something else that could be this. Because the 800,000 that, you know, Jeff proposed is not the whole thing that we need from the general fund. We need half of this from the general fund. Like, uh, approximately half of this because half of it will come from the employee, you know, employee benefit levy, which is re we reduced it last year, 10 cent, and 10 cent always make 400,000. If we increase it 10 cent this year because we reduced it last year, it will make cover the employee benefit levy, you uh, benefit from the employee benefit levy, and we'll, we'll remain 400,000 that we are looking for. 
There is many resources, Pauline, if you dig on the budget. 500,000, we just take it cash, and we bought a, to, bought the, to buy the fire station. Next year, we are not gonna buy every year fire station, but we're gonna do something else. We can use that money for many things, and there is more. And this is not gonna happen now. We can figure out during budget time if we agree to. If that, if the reason, you know, you're concerned about the budget. And also, I wanna say that last time when we guys talked about this, I remember Susan Mimshi read Asmi's letter. And she said she's not supporting this because Asmi is not supporting it. No, um, no, no, of, no. Yeah, you read the letter. That. Whatever. Most of the council was talking about Asmi's letter. And they were talking, you know, it wasn't clear. We're not supporting this. Asmi is not recommended. Asmi is saying that there is many jobs will be lost. I, you know, I went back and heard like some of the conversation. Now we have something completely new. Uh, you know, it's up to you. Uh, this is, but this being waiting for a long time. Last we spoke about this during in spring, and I understand as the city manager said, 640, 45 is consistent. Yes, it's consistent that we are not giving 646 people health insurance, and this is really, you know. Also, John Thomas saying that we need to face this. How can we face insurance for people? You know, what's the difference between us and what's going on on the national level right now about health insurance? We're supposed to really, you know, make the standard high, like for, for other cities, for like other community that we treat our employees who really pay, like work 20 hours over the years. And I want to ask you a question, Jeff. We have part-time employees in this city, right? Yes. And do we have somebody work 20 hours? Part-time permanent? Sure, yes. Those people work 20 hours you know, around the years. If we can give this one, make it permanent because he worked 20, why not that person? I can understand if five hour, 10 hour, hour is not that much. Maybe they have another job, definitely. Or maybe they have insurance from another job. But this is the same thing. I really encourage you to do this because there is people over there. We are just delaying insurance for people who work hard for the city, and just this is not okay. Okay, Maz, I, I personally recognize that you feel very strongly about this. Yes, I am. But what we have before us is a question about what to do with regard to nine positions, actually seven, given what Jeff said. So there, from what I've heard, there is insufficient support for converting all of those seven positions to from hourly to permanent. Insufficient okay. support, meaning there's not four people. I understand insufficient. And Believe likewise, me. there's insufficient support for doing what, my, uh, what Susan recommended, which is defer the discussion entirely to when we get to the budget. Sure. So the question then becomes, where, where do we get four votes, basically? And I, I think there are four votes, we'd find out, I think there'd be four votes for uh, instructing the city manager to convert two or three positions now. Can we come with exact numbers? Of course, for well, me, if yeah. I don't, if you, if you are not gonna do the whole thing, uh, and some people saying three or three position, I. I'd rather say yes for those than just say no for the whole thing. But I, I really want the whole thing. Yeah, I understand. So 
Let me throw put out a number, and that's all it is is a number at the moment. Uh, three positions. Okay. And, and delegating to Jeff uh, the responsibility of, of identifying which positions those would be. Is yeah. that is that meaningful from a city manager point of view, Jeff? Yeah, I'd be prepared to do that. Within a couple of meetings, we could bring that back to you. Sure. But I really want to mention that a lot of problems sometimes, people are complaining at the, at the, at the rec center, especially I mean immigrant people. Uh, because, you know, some people, they go there, uh, each time new stuff, they don't know anything about what's going on. And if front desk, it will be like a permanent position will be great because the people will be trained to deal with people and not like each time we have different students who doesn't know anything. Well, it sounds to me, Mazahir, like hopefully Jeff will see that as, mm -hmm. as one of the primary sure. positions that we need to seriously look at. And again, I repeat, in conjunction with ASME, I don't um, think um, he should have total control over making decisions about uh, personnel. I do. I think that's what we hire a city manager for. I, and that, I, is, yeah. that is his primary, I, one of his primary roles. I, I, I agree as well. I think that's something we delegate to the city manager. We delegate the city manager without question. No, but we, uh, we can. Can I... Can I Continue just a minute. Uh, uh, a lot of people talk while you're talking, not only me. Okay, go ahead. Thank you. Um, I think Jeff did give us, and I'm not finding it immediately, what his priorities were. And I think to impact the fewest people, um, it's not going to be those rec department positions. Um, and I think that's one of the areas, and, and maybe certainly not the only one, where I think we have to acknowledge and accept the fact there will be people who lose their jobs. Um, we don't know how many, but as these positions are upgraded, and some of them, um, you know, maybe bilingual as a preference, um, you look at some of them going from a high requirement of a high school education to an associate's degree requirement, et cetera. So, you know, and, and I mention it because you've, you know, said, Pauline, you hope they didn't lose jobs. Well, we are going to have people losing jobs. We don't know how much. And we can't just say we hope AFSCME can find them jobs. AFSCME doesn't control the number of positions in the city. They don't create jobs. I mean, that is management's role. And we have a union, and I respect the union. I was a union negotiator at Kirkwood for the faculty for a number of years. I sat on their executive committee. I have been at the, union, at the table as a union rep. So I understand that, and I respect that. But that is not their role. It is management's role to determine the positions with our support. And I think it is very much appropriate that is that it is management's decision to, if we choose to go ahead with three positions now, that it is totally in Jeff's hands to prioritize and determine which of those positions would go uh, permanent. I'm also really, um, I guess, frustrated and, and disappointed in that we have two positions which we've said, okay, we'll, we'll leave out of this because basically Jeff has said, well, you know, if you make them permanent full time, we're just not even going to fill them. Okay. Stop for just a second and think about also then what those ramifications are. That means we have staff in this city who need some extra help who can't get it. Because what we're saying is it's either permanent part-time or not at all. 
there is a place for part-time employees. And I think in seeing this memo that we've stayed right around that 650 level. Um, and, and I can tell you when I was at Kirkwood, we argued for them not to increase the number of adjunct faculty. And you know, it becomes a budget situation and how many dollars you have as an organization. But I, I'm impressed that we have not increased um, that part, those part-time numbers. But we also have not increased enough our permanent full-time staff. Okay, uh, we clearly have multiple perspectives about this, but I think I have heard that there is support for directing the staff to convert three positions from hourly to permanent, uh, and to direct the city manager to exercise his discretion about uh, which positions those will be, and that we will return to the larger question when we do our overall budget discussion. But I just want to say something, uh, because when you and uh, John Thomas said s some of the position, he mentioned that to phase them out, like just like the minimum wage. Now three, maybe in the future, we will do like the rest of them. Are we still like on that? Because we can do this like every year. Yeah, you mean something. phase in? Yeah, phase right. in. This well, that's things. what I meant. By that's right. my intention. That's, yeah, yeah. like now, doing budgets. the three position now, I'm phasing the rest. Just like the minimum wage, phasing well, in. Yeah, yeah. We're that, not, I wouldn't say that we're committing that's to what phasing. No, but I, well, I bet him, but the potential for ultimately council will be making the decision in the future as to whether to move ahead with the phasing, but that's my intention is. Yes, that's what he, he meant. Yeah. Do you mean the same thing, Gim? What I meant was that the, the decision about whether to convert the remaining, I don't know, four positions mm -hmm. would be made during the budget discussion uh -huh. with no commitment ahead of time about whether those positions would be converted it would be a topic to be discussed during the overall budget. Sure, but I hope the city manager will know that so you can bring us the, like, the budget for those remaining positions so we can discuss it during yeah, that yeah, time. I see Jeff nodding, I'm sure. And I really true. want to ask you something temporary. My understanding for temporary, something like for a specific time, right? Maybe I don't know the English very well. This is my second language. But what temporary mean? Mean somebody is opposite of permanent. I mean somebody will work from this day to this day. Temporary. How come we have people work permanent and we call them temporary? And now he need two positions, the position that, the communication position that he eliminated the two position, and now we make it seven. Those people will be working there all the time, right? If you hire them, for example. Are you gonna make them work like six months, seven months, no, one be, year? No, it would be year round. Just it would be year round. Oh, Does that the, mean it's needed? The, the memo that we've gotten from Jeff refers to hourly employees. No, but he want to hire, no, you don't understand me. He want to hire the people hourly in a permanent position. Hourly in a permanent position. Okay, if we have permanent position, why we don't make them permanent? Like, yeah, I'm talking about the, the, the two position that he said he's not gonna do it because like budget and things, yeah. 
Do you understand exactly what I refer no, to? I'm sorry, I'm not. Um, I'm saying in general, let us talk in general then. Permanent, like temporary, like when we say temporary, that means for like period of time. And uh, I, I mean that most of the employees now, now we're raising the 640, most of them are hourly, right? Those are all, all of hourly. Them, all of them are hourly which is temporary. They come and work for some of them, they just hire between the, for the winter and they don't come back, some of them. But all the positions that year around, we should really think to do, to do those permanent, not hourly. Okay. I have a, just a couple of other additional comments. One, maybe, Maz, what one thing you're referring to is the tenure of the these hourly employees. Exactly. I, I don't know that we have that information. It's in your cover memo that I provided. Mm-hmm. That's in there. It is here? Yes. Page oh. 84 of the uh, information packet. Okay. So, so, for example, we have two hourly staff that have worked for us for 20-plus years, mm -hmm. and yeah. they average 3.5 hours okay. per week. So that, that, I think, may be another factor that when we have the budget discussion would be useful to know. Yes. And then the, the other thing I would, it's kind of following up on something I mentioned at our last discussion of this, uh, where, you know, in my looking at, at uh, what I consider to be comparable institutions, the, uh, the hourly employees did have benefits that, uh, such as a certain percentage of their wage could go toward healthcare systems and so forth. And Jeff, you mentioned that that's not part of our the city does not have that option. We cannot offer hourly employees health insurance benefits. It would be prohibited by the collective bargaining agreement with AFSCME. Is, is that something that could be revisited? If AFSCME was willing to, to negotiate that out of the you know out of the contract, then yes, but they is would it, have to do that. Are they part of the AFSCME bargaining agreement? No, they're not part of the bargaining unit. Hourly employees are not, but our agreement with AFSCME prohibits us from offering health insurance to hourly. Sure. I have another like question. Are they eligible to be a union member if they've been organized by another union, not AFSCME? I, I don't know that off the top of my head. Okay. I need really to figure out the answer for that because if the city don't want to do it, I guess a lot of another will be happy to do it. Okay, we'll revisit some of this conversation uh, when we get around to the budget. But for now, we a majority of the council has made a judgment about how to proceed. Okay, given the time, uh, let's uh, skip the council updates. We can mention them when we uh, come to that closing part of our sure. formal meeting. Okay, so we'll adjourn now, adjourn the work session to the formal meeting when it starts at 7.